0: I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It's been a busy week and Chris is going to be heading out of town for a little bit so we thought we would just get the group together and do a podcast before people start spreading out when things start to slow down and usually when we start spreading out stuff starts to happen and Scott and Chris we were commenting on Monday when everything hit with uh, Sermon and Yankoff. Usually when that stuff starts to hit I'm on the golf course you're at a bar and Scott's at a kids event but we were all actually around at that time which is kind of weird timing for once
1: yeah I remember when uh uh Tom well Tom Lloyd's the one that broke the story for 24-7 and and I remember him getting a call from him and I said um what is going on and and he's like well here you go and and so um and then Chris followed up with his guy that is on the transfer portal and it just it was good that we were all around for once.
0: Yeah, and that typically doesn't happen. Yesterday with Sermon coming back and the Savelle small hitting thing, we were a little bit scattered, but we were able to make everything works. Big props to Brandon Huffman for helping us out. But, you know, uh, talk about Monday when it came down that both Sermon and Yankoff, both at the same time, decided to put their name in the transfer portal. A little surprised either one of you? little surprised at both, for
2: sure. I mean, it... <laughs> um, you know i think again common or conventional wisdom kind of had it suggested that you know once those two guys committed for that class and then they added the transfer in jacob eason it was one of those things where something was something was going to have to change you know they just couldn't have all of those bodies in there all at the same time and and please everybody so it was not surprising if one of those guys was going to leave after spring, I mean, and and it certainly felt like a guy like Colson Yankoff, may have been the last in the group because it felt like Jake Hayner and Jacob Eason had kind of gotten those first team reps, and Jacob Sermon had started to kind of assert himself a little bit more by the end of spring. But yeah, but to see them both at the and almost at the same time decide that it was going to be in their best interest to leave that was surprising. Scott, how about you?
1: Uh, for me, it was it was Jacob Sermon. You know, Colson Yankoff, as much as I think he enjoyed his time here at the University of Washington, I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall. He had kind of fallen back to fourth or even fifth on the depth chart, depending on how you look at it. And I guess it would be fourth because he was ahead of Dylan Morris. But, you know, I I think Jacob Sermon really surprised me with his family connections to the program. The fact that his sister Ellie is enrolling here shortly. Uh, to, to row at the University of Washington, and then his father is a professor, and he's got all those family ties. His grandfather, Gary, played for the University of Washington. I just had a real hard time seeing him transfer, at least this early in the process. But I think one of the things that people need to realize is that when Colson Yankoff and Jacob Sermon signed their letters of intent and enrolled at the University of Washington, Jacob Easton wasn't even a factor at that point because he hadn't even transferred yet and hadn't even decided to transfer. So these guys signed with the University of Washington under a different set of circumstances. And then when those circumstances changed, I think that's when things really started to open their eyes and say, hey, we might not be where we thought we were going to be.
0: When they looked at the depth chart, right, they would imagine that this is the year that they'd be competing for a starting job. And then they take a look at it. They're not only competing for a starting job, they're competing for the not, the, not even the backup position because it seemed like the coaches had moved Hainer in front of them. And Chris, talk a little bit about what you saw out of spring football from both uh, Jacob Sermon and um, Colson Yankoff.
2: Yeah, it was one of those things where, again, I think Chris Peterson made it clear, at least when he was talking to the media, that their job initially was to try to get as many guys, as many reps as possible, and then kind of go from there and try to see if the competition would start to kind of weed things out naturally. And, and, you know, the cream rising to the top, whatever cliche you want to use. And so it was interesting, those first two weeks, even a guy like Dylan Morris, who obviously, as a true freshman with four guys in front of him, we'd assume would be an afterthought, was getting quite a few reps as well. And then in that third week, that's when things really started to change. And we started to see Jake Hayner, we started to see Jacob Eason get more and more of those first-team reps. And guys like Sermon and Yankoff and Morris start to get less and less turns with the number 1 team. Now, I thought Sermon still kind of was more the steady Eddie, I thought that Yankov was certainly more of that guy that we that we knew who he was coming in, which is that dual threat athlete that still needed to improve in the passing game, but was the best pure athlete of all five of those guys by far. Um, he can really do some damage with his legs. We saw that in some of the scrimmage periods, but over the course of the four weeks, if you take him in total, it really felt like Jacob Sermon was starting to slightly bud, you know, move ahead. If you look at just that kind of internal battle between Sermon and Yankoff, it really felt to me like Jacob Sermon was starting to get just a little more in front and starting to go after those first two guys. Because if anything, I think if you if you listen to his father David, who I talked to uh, pretty extensively the night that the the news came out that they were both going to both Sermon and Yankoff were going to transfer, talking to David Sermon, he felt like the the competition really. Almost incentivized Jacob even more and more to win the battle as opposed to shy away and say, Oh, there's too much competition. If anything, that raised the stakes
0: for him even more. Scott, I mean, from what you saw comparing, I mean, I, I still believe that uh, Eason will be the starting quarterback, and the battle right now is for the backup. But if you take a look and say that Jay Kaner was the backup last year and Sermon was competing for that backup job. How would you take a look or how would you judge that competition right there between Sermon and Hayner?
1: Between Sermon and Hayner, well, I mean, it's so strange because you watch the way Jacob Sermon carries himself on the field and how tall he stands in the pocket and everything like that. I made the comment to Chris during the spring game from the press box. I said, he just looks like an NFL quarterback. Now, it's just in the way he carried himself. It isn't necessarily in how he was playing or anything like that. But you can just see that he has that ability to stand tall in the pocket and make the throws, every throw you would want. But with Jake Hayner, you don't see that. He's got to look between uh, his offensive uh, linemen and and the lanes that they create for him to throw. He, he throws a lot of picks, unfortunately, because he's kind of got that gunslinger mentality. And I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that Jacob Sermon and Jake Hayner and uh, Jacob Eason were. I don't want to say tied but right around each other. I don't know if I could say that Sermon is definitely the number two and Hayner has fallen behind him. But, you know, I think what he has available to him and how much better he's going to get, I think he could eventually be that backup guy.
0: Chris, if there was a gap between Jake Hayner and Jacob Sermon, how big is that gap? Right now, um, I'd say there's a bit of a gap, only because
2: I think when it comes to, you know, at least if you take a look at what they were able to do on the field – in those last scrimmage periods of the spring preview, for instance, both those guys were able to engineer uh, touchdown drives, as well as Jacob Eason. All three of those guys were able to do that. Um, they you know, they all kind of did it in a little different ways. Jake, Jake Hainer is certainly more that gunslinger type, which is kind of ironic, because you you associate the gunslinger type right with the bigger more you know bigger arm bigger guy can sit in the pocket and just scan the field and go down and just you know and and, and use his arm talent to go crazy but it's actually Jake Hayner is the one that seems to want to be able to throw a little bit more into coverage uh has you know, I think he threw more touchdowns maybe over the course of the spring, but he also threw more interceptions. So I think that was kind of indicative of the fact that he's kind of a hit and miss guy in that in that way. Whereas uh, both Eason and, and Sermon seem to be a little bit more of the of the steadier, you know, won't make a ton of mistakes, but weren't necessarily looking downfield as much either. So um, I think there's there's a, a little bit of a gap. But I think that gap, like Scott said, I think that gap is starting to shrink more and more as we were going on. And if spring football had gone maybe another week or so, yeah, that, that could have been a dead heat between the three of them, honestly. Because I do think while uh, Jacob Beeson, I think, will ultimately earn the job, and he, and that's the key word, earn the job, because he's, he, I don't think he's done anything yet to really earn it. Um, I, think, I think Jacob
0: Sermon was right on track to maybe turning that thing into almost a dead heat. And for either one of you, putting your name in the transfer portal and then going back into the locker room, what's that going to be like?
1: Uh, I've, I've got to believe that Jacob Sermon definitely has some um, some work to do uh, with his teammates and things like that. Um, I, I don't think it's as as tough with the players as it is with the coaches, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the coaches are going to be tougher to convince that he's all in because with Chris Peterson, you're either all in with us or you're not with us at all. And I that's one of the reasons I was a little surprised that Sermon was allowed back was because I thought Peterson would be like, uh, you already have said you wanted to go. It's obviously where your mind is. But I think Peterson wants to work with this guy and I think he knows his depth chart. And I think he knows that they need a guy like Sermon in this uh, program re- regardless of where he ends up being.
2: My Kim, yeah, uh, real quick, uh, I, I, the only thing I would add to that, is it, what are we talking about, 72 hours? Um, I, I mean, I, I get, I, I understand what Scott's saying, and I agree with it. I would also add, though, I, I wonder how how, the, how much of this is really even going to hit their radar. I mean, I mean, spring football's done. They're going, doing their things. Now, they're going to see him on campus. They're going to obviously be doing with the stuff with him in the weight room and all that kind of stuff. So there's no doubt there's going to be fences to mend. But uh, we're talking about three days. I mean, we're not talking about a guy coming back after a couple weeks. Uh, of of testing the waters and things like that i think this was a kid like like his dad said this was a gut-wrenching decision for him and clearly i think ideally he would not have wanted to make this decision and thought it was at that time in his best interest and clearly the conversation that he had with chris peterson and bush hamden yesterday or whenever it happened i it must have happened i think yesterday that um clearly saw him thinking a little differently so do I think it's going to be that big a deal, really,
0: when we look at the end total of all this? I just, I wonder if it's going to be that big a deal. I think that uh, um, both Yankoff and Sermon decided to put their name in the transfer portals for different reasons. I think that um, Yankoff saw that he was going to have a tough time jumping ahead of the guys in front of him. Um, but from everything I've been hearing between the lines and talking to people it was with a Sermon, it was more that he thought he deserved to have a shot at the backup job and wasn't truly getting it. Do you think that's far off base, Chris? No, I don't think that's far off base.
2: I, I, I But that being said, um, David Sermon was really uh, quick to point out often that he didn't uh, feel that this was a reps, quote-unquote reps decision, uh, or, a, or even really in, in, in the grand scheme, a football decision. Because people have to remember they're still student athletes there's still a lot there's school there's the social aspect there's a lot of other stuff that's going on you know outside of football so there's a lot of components to this thing that people have to understand and they have to reconcile and then they're also dealing with a a college kid we're not dealing with a full full full-fledged adult here so um a lot of missing pieces that we don't know the full answers to, and that makes it difficult to really sort of render any any reasonable judgment. um But that being said, I I think there there certainly has to be a piece of that where you know if, if you feel like you're seeing Jake andor and Jacob Eason splitting those first team reps, and you're not getting nearly as much as you did maybe in the first half of spring. Yeah, that might that uh, that might cause you to think a little bit.
0: Let me run a scenario by you that somebody ran by me yesterday, which I thought was real interesting. That um, both Hainer, excuse me, both Sermon and Yankoff uh, put their names in the transfer portal without talking to each other, and then they both find out that the other one put it in, and they look and go, "Oh crap! I didn't know he was doing it too."
1: Um. I wouldn't be surprised if if they thought that, but I'm going to be honest with you. Those guys all kind of know each other and where everybody's standing. I think both of them kind of knew that they were thinking about doing it, and they, it just so happened that they did it within probably about 10 to 15 minutes of each other. Well, we'd
0: heard rumors that Yankoff had, um, I mean, I had anyways, but, you know, we didn't have any way to substantiate it. We'd heard that Yankoff was talking about leaving even before spring ball after the season. And, uh, you know, he was convinced to stay until after spring and see how things had gone. Had you heard that as well, Scott?
1: Um, I, I had heard some rumblings about it, but like you said, weren't, wasn't able to confirm it. And I didn't want to even kind of speculate about that, especially when I knew how much he enjoyed his time at the university of Washington and how much respect he had for Chris Peterson. So I didn't pursue it other than asking a few people close to him.
0: All right. Uh, you want to move on to the next bombshell? Uh, sure. Thanks by the way, Brandon Hoffman for, yeah, just (laughs) a two bombshells in a week is enough, but, uh, Savell Smalls uh, tells Brandon Huffman that uh, he's narrowed it down to 12 schools in Washington. Six schools. Is it six? six? Yeah. Washington is not part of the mix. Um, so um, a couple questions, Scott. Number one, surprised. Number two, are the reactions that we're seeing from some out there uh, a little bit overblown? And do you think it's over for Washington with Savelle Smalls?
1: Well, I'll answer the last one first. No, I don't think it's over for Savelle Smalls. Do I think he ends up at the University of Washington? No, I haven't felt good about Washington's chances for a long time with Savelle Smalls. But that being said, Washington's still going to recruit him. And I still wouldn't be surprised if he ended up taking a visit to the University of Washington. We'll have to see how that goes. Still a long way to go until he ends up signing seven more months before he can uh, sign with any school. So uh, we'll just see how that kind of plays out. As far as the first one, am I surprised? Eh, I think a little bit. Um, I do know there's some rumblings out there about his trip to Oregon and that some other players were in his ear, players that Washington dropped because they did not want a good fit at the University of Washington, or Washington didn't feel like paying them. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's just Washington has kind of a certain thing that they're looking for in their recruits, and not all of them fit. And so when a kid from the city of Seattle, who's very high on Washington, goes down and then listens to people who might be a bit bitter. The thing that frustrates me about this whole thing, if if it really was those, uh, those players from Oregon who had Washington offers, but were told they weren't going to accept their commitments. If, if he was really swayed by them, then, then Savelle Smalls is not quite as intelligent as I thought he is. And I think Savelle Smalls is very intelligent. He's a three nine
0: GPA guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, he is very smart. But he might not be that street savvy that you would think. You know, and, and he's an impressionable 17-year-old kid. And, and, I mean, he's been around the University of Washington. He's been, he knows plenty of kids on the team. He knows black kids on the team. The problem is he had Joey Thomas in his ear for two full years about Washington pulling uh, Trayvon uh, well, Harrison. Harrison's uh, offer that they made to him and didn't pursue him at all. I'm sure Joey Thomas had his little bit of bitterness that came off on Savelle. Then he goes down to Kennedy, and he's around Sam Heard and all these other guys who love the University of Washington. Sheldon Cross, even though he has ties to Washington State, loves the University of Washington. He's the head coach down there at at Kennedy, and... I just think this kid has let that seep into it. If, if he really has let that seep into his thinking, then he's really not the kind of guy that Washington wants anyway, because if that's really what you're going to do and not go and talk to the Husky coaches about it before you eliminate them, then maybe that he just isn't the right guy for the University of Washington.
0: And Scott, I've said this over and over and over and over and over again. There's never one reason for a kid to choose a school or not choose a school. It's a lot of things all adding up. And when you talk about this early in the recruiting process and talking about a 17-year-old kid, there's a lot of stuff that gets in his head. And what's in his head today may not be in his head a week from now. There's a long ways to go with Savel Smalls.
1: Well, that's true. And the the one reason why I never thought that Savel was going to end up at the University of Washington or it was a very strong possibility that he would leave is that he's had his eyes on those bright lights of the SEC and and programs like Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, schools that have made the playoffs and things like that and I think he just thinks you know, there, there was those rumors about Russell Wilson, how he thought he was bigger than Seattle. Well, I think Savelle Smalls might Thing. I, I don't know. I've talked to the kid plenty of times. He's a great kid. I don't want to speak poorly of him. But I think he thinks he's bigger than Washington. And at this point, it's, it's tough to, it's you know, it's something Washington either has to figure out a way to sell him on, why he should stay local. And Greg Lewis actually has a great post out on our board about why the kid should stay local. He could do really well at any school, but he'd be a legend here if he did well. And so Washington really needs to sell him on that, or maybe they just say, it's not worth us. We shouldn't have to convince a kid to come here to the University of Washington, especially a local kid.
0: And Chris, you've been doing this a long time, and there was a time earlier this year where Savelle Smalls was at the basketball game, going in the student section, out on Twitter and Instagram, and everything was UW, UW and then two weeks later, it's another school. I mean, we've seen him bounce around all over with all this stuff. Sure.
2: No, I mean, it's one of those things where... They're going to keep doing what they do, and if they feel that Savelle Smalls is a great fit for them at Washington, they're going to continue to recruit him, whether he has him in their top 12, top 20, top two, because the kid enjoys the process. I mean, let's get, it, let's get that straight. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's loving the lights. He's loving going to Oregon and, and sitting on the throne and going to Florida and Florida State and Alabama and all these places. Hey, kid's enjoying it, and why wouldn't you? You get one chance to do this in your life. So he's living it up, and and I think all of us would. That being said, that, that's not going to dissuade a program from recruiting him, and, and it doesn't matter what public things he's saying about the program. He could be saying this, that, and the other thing about the program. program. If they feel like it's in his best interest if they get him because they know they can develop him and turn him into an NFL player, then they're going to do that. I mean, right. it's just that simple. It's that they're not, they're not going to be deterred by, like you said, you know, the fact that he may say may say one thing one week and say another thing another week. Chris,
0: you've heard Chris Peterson say this many times. You know, I'm looking for guys who love football, not that love to be recruited. I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, at times it's appeared that you know uh, Savell Smalls, and you mentioned it, Savell Smalls likes being recruited.
2: Well, he likes being recruited, but you could say the same thing about Puka Nakua. Puka loved loved the bright lights. That's why he committed to USC very early on. He there was something about uh, his personality that he wanted to play in a big time program, in a in a high profile city, uh, a big media city. And and one that really took uh, things seriously on that on that level, and so you know, Savell, why would anybody begrudge him if he's looking at a school like Florida, for instance, or in any SEC school for that matter, that clearly by any measurable, reasonable, uh, neutral you know metric, is is uh, a much bigger time than than any of the other conferences in America, let alone the Pac-12. So. You know, I mean, I mean, give give the kid his say. You know, let let him do what he's going to do. I will say one thing. I think the move from Garfield to, back to Kennedy was a was a great move for him. I think that's really going to help him. I think he's going to be in a, a really strong program now, uh, and he can really help them in, in terms of you know balancing things out on the defensive side of the ball. Because really, uh, for the last couple years with Sam Huard and guys like uh, Jabez Tanay and Junior Alexander and some of these other guys they've been really an offensive juggernaut and now they can really add some defensive punch to what they're what they're doing as well
0: and Scott we'd heard rumors you know with Savelle that uh, you know he started at Kennedy as a as a freshman that's where he went his freshman year, and then he moved over to Garfield. And then there were rumors that he wanted to get out of Garfield, and he was denied at Eastside Catholic was one of the rumors I heard. And, you know, it wasn't easy for him to go back to Kennedy, and Kennedy finally relented because they felt that was what was best for the kid. Um, But tell me about him going back to Kennedy, having Sam Huard in his ear, and tell people a little bit about the influence that Sam Huard has on uh, the 20 and 21 recruiting classes.
1: Well, uh, first of all, the only reason Savelle Smalls was allowed back into Kennedy was because he was there as a freshman. He would not have been allowed to transfer there as a senior and play football. And we all know that's what he wants to do. And, And so... Um, but the Kennedy, like you said, the Kennedy, uh, staff all met and, and they voted to allow him to come back, but it's only because he had been there before. Where where
0: Eastside Catholic had said, no, is what we'd heard.
1: Yeah. Eastside Catholic said, thanks, but we don't take senior transfers, uh, especially for guys that are, that are that high profile. And, and so, um, so basically you asked about being around Sam Heward, I think Sam Heward and him are our, our friends. I don't think that they're as tight as some people want to believe. I think they're they're okay. You know, they're, they're teammates and they're, friend, they're friendly with each other, but they don't run in the same circles. They don't run in, in that same stuff. So Sam Heward can only have a certain amount of impact on a guy like Savelle Smalls. As far as Sam Heward's impact on the 2021 and 2022 and 2020 classes, um, he's going to have a huge impact because he's the number one or tied for, for the number one overall quarterback in the entire country. Uh, He's putting up massive numbers. He's got a chance to do something really special at Kennedy, get them deep into the playoffs. They've only been able to play, they've only made the playoffs uh, just this past year. So he really, really wants to get them to the the playoffs and make a run at a 3A, or I'm sorry, a 4A state title. But, uh, you know, I I think his presence is going to be huge for the University of Washington and, and how he's able to influence the rest of the class
0: recruiting anything we need to update scott
1: uh well right now the coaches are out on the road um they stayed local uh yesterday and today um i know and i put in my blog kind of where some were headed over the next few weeks they're going to head to a lot of their their normal territories junior adams is taking over the vancouver area um, where he's recruited quite a bit uh both when he was at boise state and and uh when he was at, uh, he was at Eastern. Was he? He was just a player at Eastern Washington, right? He didn't coach there, right? I don't remember. Okay, well, whatever it was, I, 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 uh, I, I do believe that he was a guy who maybe he did coach. Yeah. Anyway, whatever it was, he, uh, um, you know, he'll be down in Vancouver area. Uh, uh, Keith Boniface down in Arizona, meeting with Bijan Robinson. Um, he's also headed to the Inland Empire. Bob Gregory and and um, Jordan Powell are headed to Northern California. I think uh, Ikaika Malloy and uh, Pete Kwiatkowski are both headed to Texas. So they're going to be all over the place over the next uh, four weeks. And you know, I I still think I think Kim we talked about it before we got on the podcast. I think there's probably going to be four or five commits this month and probably four or five next month. I think you could see Washington have upwards of ten to twelve commits by the end of june
0: okay i'll just save you some answering on the message board who are they going to be scott who are they going to be who are they going to get when's it going to be and when's going to happen
1: all of them are guys they haven't offered yet how about that
0: all right that works hey um also i want to make note josiah bronson john clark uh, were put on scholarship this week well deserved
1: absolutely was well deserved i mean josiah bronson i think is going to be a uh, Pretty key player for Washington up front. I think John Clark will—he'll have a role. I don't think you're going to see him play as much as guys like Levi Alwunzerike and and uh, Bronson and maybe some of those younger guys. But he's got a role to play, and considering where he came from to where he is right now, I you know this this kid has put in a ton of work. He's a lunch pail guy. He's going to bring it every day. He never takes it down off. And I think the I think his hard work has paid off. And his senior year will be paid for and that's huge for people who don't know. I mean that could run you upwards of forty to fifty to sixty thousand dollars depending on on what you're looking to do at college every year. For his senior season to be paid for, amazing.
2: I was gonna say too real quick that uh, over the course of spring you start to you start to see some some partnerships form on the defensive side of the ball whether you look at the inside linebackers you know guys like Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington playing a lot of the 1s Jackson Sermon and M- MJ Tafisi playing a lot of the 2s well the defensive line's kind of the same way and you started to see Benning Potawai and Levi Ansarike playing a lot together in that in that one role in the 2s you know, a lot of the times you'd see those red shirt freshman guys, guys like Sam Timani or Thule, Latui Gasanoa, those guys would be playing together. But then you also saw that combination of John Clark and Josiah Bronson, and I thought they did some really, really nice things. So I think Akaika Malloy is really intrigued with that partnership and what they're going to be able to do going forward.
0: Anything else we need to cover, Scott?
1: I think that's about it. You know, we've got camp season coming up in uh, June, and we'll be at a lot of those. And uh, just a lot of stuff, you know. Fetters is going to be soccered out by the time he gets back, I think. And and uh, we're going to throw a red card and tell him he has to come back in 14 days. Can't stay any longer.
0: Hey, Chris, would you rather just, go on the uh, go on the trip you're t- you're going on, or go on the one I was at last week? For the record, I just I didn't bring up anything. You guys are the ones
2: that always bring this stuff up, not me. I I'm, I've always. Hey, I'm, I'm just going on vacation. You guys can have fun with it and do what you will. We'll burn the place down. No, it's going to be – No, Trust me, it, and to answer your question, Kim, about whether or not I would want to go to England or to go to North Carolina, I would rather go to England because these things are once-in-a-lifetime type opportunities that I'm going to be taking part of. I can go play
0: Pinehurst anytime I want. I wish you well with that. <laughs> so. I know people too. All right. Um – Lots of stuff going on in the background at dogman.com. We'll keep you guys updated. Hopefully, some real interesting stuff on podcasting coming up uh, pretty soon. We're Looks like we're finally on our way to getting a platform we prefer uh, that will work well instead of being on the platform that we've been on, which has kind of been difficult to deal with at times, but uh, some cool stuff. Also, uh, talking to engineering, starting to get some beta copies of the new message boards that... Um, I'm pretty confident in saying that they should be ready by the beginning of the season. So excited to take a look at what the new message boards are going to look like. I know that engineering and the dev team has been uh, making that a priority to get that rocket and rolling. So um slowing down a little bit but we plan on going from zero to 60 a couple of times like we did this week only we didn't go to zero to 60 we went from zero to 60 from 60 to 120 all in a matter of a couple hours earlier this week so Scott Eklund Chris Fetters I'm Kim Grenolds, go dogs!